Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire, and empower you. We are in week three of a series that we've been doing in our church entitled Break the Bungee. And we've come straight out of a Rise conference. We're hyped, we're fired up for Jesus. But over this last few weeks, we've been considering how we can break the things in our lives that seem to just pull us back. I don't know about you, but it seems sometimes in our lives like we can take two steps forward in our life, feeling excitement, we're fired up, we're gonna change the world, and then things can just yank us back to where we were only a short period ago. And we've been dealing with that, dealing with how we can break the things in our lives, be free from the things in our lives that just seem to habitually trip us up, keep us captive, stop us from being the people that we want to be. And the series is simply just entitled, Break the Bungee. As we dive into it, why don't you whack five people and just tell them, it's time to break your bungee. It's time to break your bungee. It's time to break your bungee. Single parents for Jesus. (laughs) Well, this evening I wanna give you a full-blown teaching message. So if you're not used to that, buckle your seatbelt and get into it. I wanna encourage you, put your phone on flight mode, get everything that you can. We are the most distracted generation in the history of the world, but I believe these next 30, hopefully 30 minutes, could literally change your lives. So buckle your seatbelts and let's go. Are you ready? Well, if we're gonna consider, friends, the life that God intended for us, wants for us, there's only one place where you can really see it, and that is to go back to the beginning of time when God created Adam and Eve and He placed them in the Garden of Eden. We now live in a world where sin has entered. I like to remind our church regularly that with the entrance of sin came pimples, taxes, and Shortland Street. Three evident signs that there is evil in the world today. Can I get a little amen out there today? And because we now live in a fallen world, it is hard for us to imagine what life was like when the world was as God originally intended it. God created Adam and Eve, He placed them on this planet, and He said you are to literally multiply and inhabit this planet. It is to be yours. I give you dominion over it. Adam and Eve were yet to experience failure, yet to know what it is to have disappointment, yet to age. They enjoyed an unbroken, honest, unfettered relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it is only in this garden that we can see the plan that God truly has for each and every person in this room tonight. There are three things that are evident when you consider Adam and Eve in the garden. And the first thing, it's obvious, but Adam and Eve were accepted. I don't know if you've ever considered in your life what a change it would make if there wasn't one day in your year you woke up and questioned whether you were loved. If there was never a moment in your life that you doubted whether you were truly accepted just as you are. This was the reality of Adam and Eve's lives. They were accepted by God, never questioned it. No barrier, no rejection, no suffering, no uh, low self-esteem. They were accepted by God. The second thing that was unique about Adam and Eve is that they were innocent. I'm talking about morally innocent. We now live in a world that has been inhibited by sin. And so in every life, in every life in this auditorium tonight, we're struggling. We're struggling with all kinds of uh, responses and urges, passions, impulses, and vices. Yet Adam and Eve never had any other temptation than this. 
to eat of this fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Without that, they didn't have sinful passions at war within their lives. They were completely innocent. And thirdly, they lived on this planet in relationship with God, in dominion over everything that is in this world. But yet to forfeit rights of authority in this world to the devil, they lived in dominion. Even the devil was automatically lower than him, than them. They lived in this incredible place where they had three things going for them in their lives. Three things that if you and I had them, oh man, we would live radically different. Not one skerrick of rejection, complete assurance of acceptance. Number two, no competing agendas, no vices, no, no sinful desires, morally innocent and pure. And thirdly, to live their lives in dominion. Think about it. They were literally had an identity that was clear, a heart that was pure, and they were walking every day of their lives in authority. Can you just kind of just buzz on that for a second? Isn't that amazing? Friends, it's important for you and I to realize that this is the life of God. When we talk about the life of God, when we talk about Jesus' promises that we will know life and life in all its fullness, this is what we're talking about. A life where our identity is clear, where our heart is not clouded, and where our purpose in life is incredibly assured. Yet we understand about Adam and Eve and about the world in which we live that Adam and Eve chose to sin. The, the devil came along and said to them, did God tell you not to eat of the fruit of any tree in the garden? And just remember, every person in this room, the way the devil's gonna get you to sin is to, by making the commandments of God appear ludicrous. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree? And that's what the devil's gonna come to you. You're gonna have people approach you and say, you Christians are anti-sex. No, we're really for it. We're really for it. We just think it should be between husband and wife in the middle of a covenant relationship and then ding, ding, let's go. A lifetime of fulfillment and joy. That's God's plan. But the devil's gonna come and he's gonna make every commandment of God appear ludicrous. That's the way he gets in. And we understand that Adam and Eve were lured by the devil and they chose to sin. And with that sin entered into this world a separation from God because of sin. The, the effects of sin are in everything that are in the world in which we live. And friends, when you and I start to think about the world in which we live, there are actually five major impacts of sin entering into this world. Number one, because of the fall of humanity, we are born into this world spiritually dead. I hope you understand today that you are not just a body, nor are you just a soul. You are both of those things, but you are what the Bible describes as a triune being, three parts. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. The eternal part of you is your spirit. And without Jesus living inside of your spirit, my friend, inside of your life, the truth is that we are, all of us, without Jesus, spiritually dead. Why? We are dead because of our sin. And with the entrance of sin into this world came spiritual death, and Adam and Eve became separated from God. With the entrance of spiritual death into this world, we lost something else. We lost the knowledge of God. Adam and Eve were spiritually alive, but they had an impact on the second sphere that is having so much impact on the way that you're living your life every day that you're alive, your soul. Your mind, your will, and emotions are directly impacted by whether or not your spirit is alive. 
I mean, I can remember, and maybe you're here in this room tonight and you don't yet know Jesus. I can remember when I said yes to Jesus at the age of 18. It was my father's birthday, May the 12th. I lifted my hand and I said yes to Jesus. And I've often described it this way, but it's honestly, honestly true. It was like I woke up the next morning and somebody had photoshopped my life. Like I looked at the same grass, but it just had a, a new hue to it. I looked at the same sunrise, but it seemed to warm my very spirit and heart. Why? Because my spirit was now alive. It was impacting the environment of my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions. And with a spirit that is dead, the second impact that sets in is that we lose the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God, the understanding of who He is, the impact of His reality on the way that we live our lives. And it's important that you remember, friends, about the knowledge of God, that the knowledge of God is relational. When we're talking about the knowledge of God, we're not talking here about going to a course and filling in boxes. I'm not against that. I'm just saying it is a relationship. We're talking about the knowledge, a relationship with God that is gonna impact everything about the way that we live our lives. The knowledge of God, my friends, is the life of God. It is by knowing God that we experience the life of God. It is by walking in relationship with Him that we experience the fullness of what He wants us to know about who He is and even more impacting perhaps about who we are. They lost the knowledge of God. They lost with that knowledge the life of God. Check out this scripture from Ephesians chapter four. The Bible says about Adam and Eve and about you and me and about the entire world in which we live that without Jesus, we are darkened in our understanding. And we are separated from, from what? The life of God. Because of the ignorance, that's the lack of knowledge, the lack of relationship, that is in us due to the hardening of our hearts. Guys, when we close our hearts to God, we separate ourselves from His life. Number one, we were spiritually dead. Secondly, we lost the knowledge of God. And my friend, the third thing that happened is seen in the lives of Adam and Eve, but it's seen just as easily in the hearts of every person in this room and certainly in our culture today. The world became filled with dominant negative emotions. Do you realize God made you? That God is love? God is not, God is not depressed, anxious, fearful, bitter, resentful. Yet we are, right? So why is that? Because we had a spiritual death. We lost with that, the knowledge of God and the soul of who we are. And then into our lives quickly came something else to fill his void, dominant negative emotions. When you look at Genesis chapter three, just write down the reference, Gen three, just put that down and check it out when you get home. You get the story of when Adam and Eve chose to sin and then what happens next. Okay, so the serpent deceives them. They eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then as a result, quickly, in the next maybe 10 or 15 scriptures, we find the three most commonly found negative dominant emotions that are not just alive in Adam and Eve, but in the lives of people in our time. Let's check it out, see if you agree with me. Number one, fear and anxiety. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I was fearful and I was anxious. I was fearful and I was anxious. Guys, can we get real for a second? Would anybody agree with me and just say, we live in a fearful and an anxious time? 
I mean, literally, the New Zealand economy is facing pressure right now because people in the world who have been flooding to New Zealand since terrorism became a modern problem are now too fearful to even get on a plane. We live in a fearful time, an anxious world. But just realize that fear and anxiety, and if you're out there today and you're struggling with fear or anxiety in your life, just realize you're not alone. This is a dominant negative emotion found in our world today because of the absence of God. Second thing is that they encountered guilt and shame. Then the eyes of both of them are open and the Bible says they realized they were naked. I love that, like they'd always been naked, like hey! But now they realized they were naked. Isn't that beautiful? Whoops, I didn't know, I had no idea. So they sewed fig leaves together and they, they did what so many people do. And before they leave their hostel dorm or before they go to high school on a Monday morning, before they enter the workplace, they made a covering. They erected a facade and they hid from the Lord God. In our, in our culture today is a tremendous challenge where we are not confident about who we are. We feel inadequate, we feel ashamed. We do feel guilt, why? Because we are all sinners. I am a sinner and so are every single one of you. And the person who's arguing with me is the greatest sinner of all. And because of this, we carry a burden of guilt and shame. And it is a pandemic in our culture today that people are living with negative feelings about who they are. They don't feel worthy, they feel inadequate, they feel ashamed, embarrassment, guilt and shame. And it is a result of our human condition. Thirdly, they were depressed and angry. Look at this, then the Lord said to Cain, this is the, the firstborn child of Adam and Eve, why are you angry and why are you downcast? Why are you angry? Why are you downcast? God is saying, why are you so ang angry and why are you so depressed? Guys, would anybody disagree with me? We live in angry times. I mean, people are just flat out mad. I mean, just angry all of the time. Like, don't you dare. I mean, we live in a world that is angry and we live in a world that is depressed. And we see all of these three conditions, fear and anxiety, guilt and shame, and we see depression and anger all right there within about 20 verses from the fall of humanity entering in. We live, team, in a fallen world. And because of that, we know what it is to have spiritual death. We've lost the knowledge of God. We have dominant negative emotions. And listen, I wanna preach this, especially to every young person in the room. We have too many choices. Before Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't a multi-choice question. It was don't eat from the tree, do eat from the tree. Now, because of the knowledge of good and evil, when we have struggles in our lives, problems in our lives, and we're trying to navigate how we're going to fix them, we are filled with too many options. So we feel hurt, we feel rejected, we feel wounded. We could go to Jesus, or we could go to some kind of vice. We can. We could, we get, we, get, we get hurt in our lives and we could forgive or we could become resentful. We just have too many choices. And then fifthly, the fifth one, who we are 
accepted. You are accepted. God made you. He has a plan for you. You are accepted. The innocence that is supposed to be ours, that we're supposed to live our lives in relationship with our God, free from all of our impurity and our, our dominion, our authority that God gave to us. Who we are became needs we have. Let me dive into this for you. Who we are became needs that we have. Look at this. Firstly, acceptance was supposed to be ours because of who we are with Jesus. Now, because of sin, we've been in our lives rejected. There's a barrier. Come on, I don't care who you are. It's easy to become aware of the fact that there is a distance between us and Jesus. And in our lives, we are aware that this is not right. We feel the distance. We're born with it. And because of that, every single person in our world today is born with a fundamental need, the need to belong. It was supposed to be who we are, accepted, confident, assured, knowing that we have Jesus and we have all we need. Now, instead, we are questioning, am I welcome here? Do I belong here? And from the patched gang member all the way through to the person at high school willing to, to literally sell their soul to find acceptance within a peer group, all of us are driven by a deep fundamental need to belong. The second one is that innocence was exchanged for guilt and shame. And because we are now embarrassed about who we are, ashamed of who we are, we have a deep need for someone to give us a sense of worth. Am I validated? Am I accepted? And whether it be stalking likes on social media, whether it be the guy who jumps off the ridiculous waterfall in order to get to the approval of his friends, or the girl who wears the skimpy skirt, we're looking for somebody to give us, you are worthy. You're significant. You're special. You are of worth to me. And the third one, dominion was exchanged for weakness and helplessness. We were supposed to be an authority over things in our lives, things in our world, walking in confidence, knowing who God is, not afraid of the future, feeling like we are the lion of the tribe, literally able to influence events, that we were confident and strong and, and well able. Thank you so much, John. But now, because of our moral failure, we struggle with the feeling that we are weak and that we are helpless, and we're desperately searching for strength and for self-control. I don't know about you, but it seems like on my uh, social media feeds and the pop-up ads I get on my uh, devices, every second thing is offering me an exercise plan, a diet plan, a meditation plan, a financial plan, whatever it is. It's like the most sold thing in the world today is self-control. Why? Because we live in a world where who we are supposed to be is now in deficit and we're searching for it with the needs that we have. We're trying to fill these needs, trying to find a way to close the gap. Because you've got to understand that whether you believe it or not, you were made by a God who has a plan for you, who says, this is what I want you to be. And when He is missing, when part of what He wants to bring to us is not found in our lives, then we go searching for the void. So friends, this leads us to accept the fact that every temptation that we experience in our lives, every time we could go one way or go the other. If you're here in this room and you wanna break your bungee, 
then often that is about some habitual sin or some ritualistic sequence in your personality that keeps tripping you up and holding you back. You feel you can't break free from it. Just remember, it's important to know that every temptation is an attempt by the devil to get us to live our lives independently from God. Oh man, I need everybody to hear this. I need you to understand that what the devil is trying to get you to do is the same thing he wanted Adam and Eve to do. You will be like God. You don't have to be dependent on God. You can form your own life without Him. So He offers us opportunities and experimentation and vices and, and we can do whatever we want. But the truth is, my friend, every single time we are offered something that is counter to God's plan for us, it is simply the devil trying to get you and me to live our lives independent from our God. We have lost the knowledge of God and with it, we have lost the life of God as well. This is our challenge. Why do we have bungees? Because we have a deficit in our lives. We have negative emotions. This comes from the fact that we have experienced a spiritual death and in our heart of hearts, we've lost the knowledge and the life of God. So what are we gonna do? How are we gonna make our way out of here? And how does the future look any different to the life that we've always lived? It's important for us to go back to the garden and take this journey. Because if we don't understand what the Bible is really trying to teach for us, we can really miss the significance of what Jesus is offering to us. Jesus said, he who has been forgiven little loves little. And if you only comprehend a little bit of this human condition that you're fighting your way through, then you won't realize the tremendous offer of what Jesus is trying to extend to each and every one of us. Imagine what it must have been like to read these words for the very first time when the Gospel of John was written. It's an amazing thing to note that in the Garden of Eden, we find a place where people had the knowledge of God and the life of God. Yet the Bible tells us in that because of that sin, we had that separation. And then imagine when we read in John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And in Him, the Word was life. And that life was like the light of men. Now, if you're just reading this in English and you see this word, word, you can miss the significance of it. But let me draw your attention to the fact that it's a capital W. Can you all see that? That's because it's not an ordinary word, word. It's a special word. And the translators of the Bible are trying to work out how do we accurately convey what the author was intending to mean. And the reason why they put a capital W, like you would only give to a deity or a personal pronoun, meaning, you know, you, you are Mike or you are Harry or you are John. The reason why they put a personal pronoun is because in the original geek, sorry, I mean Greek, that the Bible was written in, the word that is translated word is the word logos, L-O-G-O-S. When they wrote the Bible, it was a relatively new word, only 600 years old. And when they use this word logos, the word is translated word because they're trying to give it to us with some form of accuracy. But when you actually look behind it, 
you realize that the, the, the reason why it's so powerful is it doesn't just mean word, the word of someone. It means the supreme word or, or the divine knowledge or, or the true doctrine. It's not just saying that there was a spoken voice. It's saying that the spoken voice was one that had ultimate knowledge, divine power, and infinite wisdom. It's saying that the Word was knowledge. In the beginning was knowledge, knowledge about God. Remember that this verse is not written about the world in which we live. This one is. This verse, John 1, 1, is written about in the beginning. In other words, in the garden, there was the knowledge of God. And the knowledge of God was the life of God. And that life was like the light. And now we live in a world that is full of darkness and we're trying to make our way through and we feel fearful and anxious, guilty and ashamed. We are struggling because of our human condition that comes from our fallen world. And the author of John writes and says, in the beginning, it wasn't like that. In the beginning, it wasn't like that. And then he says this amazing thing that pivots this entire message. It says, the Word became, help me. Come on, you can do better. The Word became flesh. In other words, the knowledge of God, the face of God, the life of God. 2,000 years ago in the body of Jesus stepped into our world. So that even though we live in a world that has fallen, He said, I'm going to show you the pathway to the light. Even though we live in a world where we know so much harm and hurt in our souls, Jesus said, I am coming to reveal what God, you were separated from me. You were shrouded in darkness. You were trying to work your way through. But Jesus came, my friends, so that we could find our way back Find our way to the knowledge of God. Find our way to the life of God. Find a way, you gotta hear this, find a way so that we can be free. Free from our bungee. Why have you got a bungee? Because you're fearful and anxious. Why have you got a bungee? Because you don't know who you are. Why have you got a bungee? Because you're lacking in the knowledge of God. And Jesus said, I came to change all that. Oh man, I was praying about it this afternoon and I was just fixating on these four words. In Him was life. In Him was life. We can think if, my, if I can have my vice, I find my life. No, you won't. You live in a world where everybody's told, just do whatever you want until you figure out who you are. That is the worst advice you will ever hear. Do not listen to that. It makes great psychobabble, makes great t-shirts, it makes a lousy way to set up your destiny. In Him was life. In Jesus was life. In Jesus was life. And friends, I believe that God is wanting to help us, help me and help you to find the life that Jesus has got for us because we don't have to live our lives enslaved, addicted, bound, depressed. We don't have to. We can find the life that God truly has for us. And that life is found in Jesus. Because you've got needs. Who you are became needs that you have. You remember that part? Well, check out this verse. 
My God shall meet all your needs according to His glorious riches. Where? In Him was life. In Christ Jesus. How do I get my needs met? How do I find what I need in my life? How do I find my worth? How do I find my acceptance? How do I find my authority? How do I find my purpose? I find what I need in Jesus. I just don't even know if I can preach this accurately. I don't even know if I can get it into your heart or not. It's like it's so simple, it could just race off the top of your forehead, but I'm praying, I'm praying that God's gonna just illuminate this moment. I really am. I'm praying He's gonna open your ears to hear. I'm praying that something's gonna go deep that maybe, maybe in your life you've been thinking, I just need somebody to love me. You don't. You need to know that because of Jesus, you're already loved. You might be thinking, I really just want that person. I want that person to suffer harm. No, no, no. You just need to realize that Jesus forgave you and you can forgive them. You might be thinking, man, I just want to pursue my vice. And no, no, no. God is saying, you don't need to pursue some sexual experience. You can come to Jesus and find your purity again. That's the Jesus that we're talking about, friends. That's why this message is so very, very important. Because we're conveyed messages. We're being taught principles in a world in which Jesus has not been experienced by the lecturer. It's a great challenge to life when the one, the capital, one, cap, capital O, capital T, capital O, the one that can cure our ills, heal our hearts, change our souls, is not known in a culture. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus can heal you. Jesus can free you. Jesus can restore you. Jesus can save you. Jesus can resurrect what is dead on the inside of you. Jesus can heal what is broken in you. And in Jesus is how we find our life. You won't find your life surfing Netflix. You won't surf, find your life on social media comparison. You won't find your life when you get another widget. You'll find G life when you find Jesus as the only one who can fill the void of your heart. Come on, if I'm preaching good, just make some noise for a few seconds. We find what we need in Jesus. See, friends, look at this. In Jesus, I am number one accepted. You gotta understand this. In Jesus, you are accepted. I love this verse of Scripture, 1 John 3, 1. And I love the way the guy writes it because notice the exclamation marks. Stay with me. He says, how great the, the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, exclamation mark. And that is what we are, exclamation mark. It's like the author's been drinking Red Bull. Do you know what I mean? We're going to a party. We're going to the party. How great is the love of God that we should be called children of God. And we are. Don't you love him? It's like the guy is just hyped on life. He's a hype beast. Look at him. We're called the children of God. And we are the children of God. Oh my gosh, my friend. You've been searching for someone to tell you that you're accepted, that you're loved, that you're valued for who you are. Imagine the great incredulity, awe, and wonder when you realize that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who is flawless in all of His character, looks at you and me 
and says, although you're flawed, although you've failed, although you've fallen, I choose you. I want you. I accept you. You are a child of God. I think we need to praise God for the people around you right now. Oh, man. Not only that, but we're made right in God's sight. Check this one out. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. You're accepted. You're accepted. You're accepted. You're accepted. I have a puppy. I love my puppy. I'm a dog person. I hate cats. Cats are going to hell. It's true. I have chapter and verse for it. I don't have time for it, but trust me, it's true. Dogs are going to heaven. Cats are going to hell. It's biblical. It's biblical. Trust me. But my dog, my dog, her name is Coco, because she's black. She's like a black dog, so we called her Coco. She's cute. If she's a white dog, we'd call her something else, but she's... That didn't come across weird, did it? I, I just like my dog. I'm telling you about my dogs. I'm not multi-layered. I'm very simple, okay? When I tell my dog off, or when she knows she's done something that's wrong, this is what she does. Tail droops, like it just disappears. And then she kind of goes like this. She has long ears, so when she thinks she's in trouble, this is a true story, she walks like this, and her feet hit her ears. It's hilarious. She's going boom, boom, boom. When she runs, it's like this. But when she thinks she's in trouble, she just walks like this. Coco. If I just say, you're okay, come here, Coco. She gets, little tail goes a million miles an hour. She just come. <laughs> comes over. Imagine how your life would be different. If you could just put to bed the fact that God is never mad at you. So you can just walk through every day just knowing you are actually accepted by God. You're going to fill a lot of needs in your life the wrong way if you question that you're accepted. Number two, you're secure. Because of Jesus, you're secure. 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 I go from looking for a sense of worth without Jesus. Am I okay? Does anybody love me? Are we good? Our guilt and shame leads us to look for a sense of self-worth. Imagine. Friend, don't just imagine. Experience. In Jesus, you are free from condemnation. God's looking at you, and even though you may have sinned, this is what the Bible says, there is now no condemnation. Put that another way. There is no emotional baggage for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of, say it, the law of the Spirit of, has set me free from the law of sin and death. You are not meant to live your life feeling inadequate. You're not meant to live your life feeling disapproving. You're not meant to live your life questioning whether your life truly is free and able. God wants to get that condemnation out of your soul and help you to realize that you are secure and you're going to find that security in one place, in 
Jesus, in Jesus, in Jesus. We need a generation that knows Jesus. That's what we need. And I'm secure. I'm never separated from His love. This might be one of my favorite verses of the Bible. If you've been around here at Arise, I quote it all the time. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels, demons, the present, the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, I'm saying it in turbo, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in nothing. I need 10 people to shout nothing right now. Nothing. Nothing. Not my bad day yesterday. Not my struggle with sin today. Not my doubts and fears for the future. Not when my parents hate on me. Not when people criticize and ostracize me. Not when people say negative things. Not when I fail an exam. Not when I can't seem to get the job I want. Nothing, 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 nothing will ever stop that love. Oh, hallelujah. Here's our, here's our next one. In Jesus, I'm confident that He will finish what He started. you got to understand, there is nothing scarier for me in life than this question. Will I make it through? I mean, I, I was born for challenges. I literally find out the scope of a challenge and it's like something awakens in me. I'm like, I can do this. One exception. If I doubt whether I can make it through. And how amazing is it for you and me to realize in our lives, because I don't think you're too different to me. Maybe not as honest, but I think you've got the same thing. That you actually can rise up if you know you can do it. If you doubt you can do it, your whole world falls apart. But if you know you can do it, you might be going, this is going to be hard, but I know I can do it. And my friends, how amazing is it to read in your Bible that because of Jesus, He, that's Jesus, who began a good work in you, is going to finish that work. You're not going to fail. You're not going to be defeated. You're not a loser. You don't need to think you're inadequate. You are going to finish this journey. You can trust in Jesus. And number three, number, here's the next one. I'm significant in Jesus. My life has a purpose. If I had a megaphone and I could shout to a generation, it would be these words. Let me tell you why you're here. In a world where people are being told you don't even know who you are until you try all the options on the table. That is absolute rubbish. Oh, my friends, I'm a loving parent. I would never raise my kids that way. From the day my child was born, I told my daughter, you are special, you are beautiful, you're a princess. I told my son, you are strong, you are courageous, you're an overcomer, you're a conqueror. And God is saying that to you, my friend. He's saying, you don't need to try until you buy. You can just know you are here, loved by God, purposed by Him. God's got a destiny for you. God's got a plan for your life. You are brilliant, special, accepted, talented. You're here. You're here for a purpose, my friends. I'm here for a purpose. You're significant. You're God's workmanship. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we can spend far too much of our time, spar far too much of our time, trying to focus on just being better. But in our lives, we just don't know who we are. I'm here to just tell you, you want to break the bungee, then realize that your life is in Jesus. And when the knowledge of God becomes the life of God in you, 
that's going to change the way you live. Why don't you all stand your feet? Let me just finish with the story. I am literally done. But let me finish with the story. I came across the story this week, and I, I want to read it to you. Now, it's an American story, so where it says college, read university, okay? Imagine for a moment a typical college man. Let's call him Bill. Bill is into the college social scene. He sees himself as a skin-wrapped package of salivatory glands, taste buds, and sex drives. So how does Bill occupy his time with this self-perception? By eating and by chasing girls. He eats anything and everything in sight, regardless of its nutritional value. He chases just about anything in his skirt, but he has a special gleam in his eye for a luscious-looking Susie, the cheerleader. So does Joel. No, just joking. Bill was chasing sweet little Susie around the campus one day. I don't know why I said that. I have to get you back because my time is done, okay? Bill was chasing the sweet, Joel was chasing the sweet, I'm doing it to myself now. Okay, focus, focus, stop being naughty. I'm talking to myself. Bill was chasing sweet little Susie around the campus one day when the track coach noticed him running. Hey, this kid can run. When the coach caught up with Bill, he said, I need you to come try out for the track team. Nah, Bill answered, I'm too busy. But the coach wasn't about to take no for an answer. He finally convinced Bill to at least give track a try. So Bill started working out with the track team and discovered that he could run. He changed his eating and his sleeping habits and his skills improved further. He started winning some races and posted some excellent times for his event. Finally, Bill was invited to the big race at the state tournament. He arrived at the track early to stretch and to warm up. Then only a few minutes before his event, guess who showed up? Sweet little Susie, looking more beautiful and desirable than ever. She pranced up to Bill in a scanty outfit that accentuated her finer physical features. In her hands was a sumptuous slice of apple pie with several scoops of ice cream piled on top. I've missed you, Bill, she sang sweetly. If you come with me now, you can have all of this, and me too. No way, Susie, Bill responded. Why not? Susie asked. Bill said, because I am a runner. I am a runner. What had once dominated his life, what had once led his decisions, what had once bound him like a bungee was no longer even a thought because he'd found a higher identity. He'd found that his life was capable of so much more. And what we need is a generation of people who have found that God has made them to be so much more than what they might be struggling with right now by the temptations of their lives. You are a child of the Most High God. You are loved, you are accepted, you are cared for by Him. If you believe it, give your God some praise in this place tonight. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor John Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at Arise Church and at John Cameron NZ.